0: 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. We immediately learn here that God can be angry with nations. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And this is a vital truth which we need to grasp in our own day. God can be angry with a whole nation. The immediate cause of his anger towards Israel in this particular instance, uh, may well be the rebellions of Absalom and Sheba against David's government. Israel is certainly under the Lord's rebuke and the people generally uh, must have been guilty of some kind of faithlessness or general departure From the Lord. Both individuals and nations need to realize that by their continual ignoring and defiance of God, they are storing up wrath against themselves. This is clearly taught in, for example, uh, Romans 2, verse 5. Romans 2, verse 5, where Paul says, After thy hardness, and impenitent heart thou treasurest up for thyself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his works and so there we clearly have stated that as men continue to defy God in their lives they store up wrath for themselves now The Lord here uses David as an instrument to bring punishment upon the whole nation. And he permits Satan to tempt David to commit a sin and a faithless act which would fall out to the detriment of the whole country, namely the numbering of the people. Now, God never, of course, entices men to commit sin. But he does permit them to defy him and to break his commandments. In that sense, men are free agents. The Lord having made men as moral beings who are able to make moral choices. Now, in his sovereign control of all events... God can actually use the sins of men to further his own purposes. Overruling so that the sinful acts of one set of men will bring judgment upon a different set of men. And the Lord can also give people up to their sinful desires. He can, as it were, let them give full reign to their sinful hearts so that they bring further judgment upon themselves. In other words, the Lord can withdraw his restraining hand upon sinners and allow them to sin themselves into a fuller judgment so that they ripen themselves for the full weight of his anger. And this is again clearly taught in scripture now here david has a sinful desire to call up and number all those men of israel who are fit for military service this is a foolish and unnecessary act and we shall see why shortly But God is going to take this sin of David and overrule it for his own purposes. Now we read in verse 2, For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. Now, This numbering of well-equipped, well-able, fighting men to go into the field of battle, this numbering of the army is simply not necessary. There is no military crisis. And a nationwide muster, which is what is involved here, will be an irksome imposition upon the people, preventing them from going about their normal lawful business, and there is no imminent need for such a nationwide muster of soldiers. So what was David's motive for doing this? It was evidently a means of gratifying his pride in knowing the great strength of the army which he had to hunt. And so here we see Satan working upon David's heart and drawing him to pride. Pride in the nation's military strength. And God, who knows David's heart, sees that this is indicative of a failure by David to trust him, the Lord, for the nation's security. Now, whilst sensible military preparations always have to be made by, by any nation, David was beginning to trust in the number of his soldiers rather than in the providence of God. We read in Psalm 33, verse 16, there is no king save by the multitude of an host. And then verse 18, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. And David was forgetting these basic principles that a nation's security is fundamentally in the Lord, not in its military strength. Verse 3, And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people, how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of the Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? And so here we see David being Rebuked by his commander, Joab. Now, Joab was far from being a spiritual, godly man, but he knew that this numbering of the people was wrong. And sometimes, by the gift of common grace, non believers have insights into what is going on in society, uh, even better than those who profess faith in God. Joab here realises that this is wrong. He can see that to do so will actually bring down God's anger upon Israel. So Joab and other commandments, commanders try to dissuade David from this action. But sadly he persists, refusing to see the hand of God's leading in the counsel which he is receiving from his advisors. And so this shows us that David's personal walk with the Lord was sadly rather deficient at this time. David is a man who had had wonderful experiences of God's presence, a man who had been greatly used by the Lord. A man who had been truly faithful and honourable in his behaviour before the Lord. But we are being taught here that no one can rest on their laurels. No Christian can rely on what they were previously. The issue is, where are we now? Are we trusting God today? And so we must. Never be tempted to think as we look back on our Christian lives well I've done this, this and this. No, where are we now? Are we trusting the Lord today? Because even mature believers can fall into faithlessness and this is a prime example. Verse 4 Notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Arower on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jeza. Well, as always, we are reminded that scripture is grounded in real history and real geography. We have a reference here to Arawa, which was around 14 miles east of the Dead Sea, it was in the southeastern corner of Israel. And so census took place there and then continued in an anti-clockwise direction throughout the land. We have a reference to Jazer that belonged to the tribe of Gad and was close to the border with Ammon. Uh, Verse 6, then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tartim-Hodshi and they came Dan John and about to Zidon. Verse 7, and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hevites and of the Canaanites. And they went out to the south of Judah even to Beersheba. So here we have a description um, of the places throughout the country which were visited in order to establish this nationwide muster of soldiers and numbering of the people. Gilead uh, is the region on the eastern side of the Jordan. Sidon and Tyre are on the Mediterranean coast to the west. Tartim-Hodshi is a town or region between Gilead and Dan. The term Dan refers to the Dan in northern Perea, to the southwest west of Damascus, at that time, probably the extreme northeastern boundary of David's kingdom. Beersheba was located about forty five miles southwest of Jerusalem. And so Dan was up in the north, Beersheba was down in the south, the two extremities as it were. So all around the country, um, David's men go to carry out this numbering of the people. Verse 8, so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. So the numbering of Israel's fighting men would take nearly ten months. Much time and much expense. Verse 9, And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So with the numbers of fighting men now available far from beginning to wallow in pride at the great size of his army, David is brought under deep conviction over what he has done. He now realises that he has been behaving no differently from an unbelieving Gentile king. Verse 10. David's heart smote him. After he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord. I have sinned greatly. In that I have done. And now I beseech thee O Lord. Take away the iniquity of thy servant. For I have done very foolishly. And so the Holy Spirit is is deeply convicting David. And at the same time, the Lord sends the prophet Gad to speak to him. Verse 11, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. Verse 13. God came to David and told him, and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies, while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days of pestilence in thy land? Now advise. And see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Now, as we have already noted, God was using David's foolishness to teach the whole nation a lesson. Israel and the people of Israel have their own sin to answer for. Now, David's personal sin would be the immediate cause of the coming judgment. But the people of Israel would be suffering for their own sin because that is how God works. And he has now decreed that judgment must come upon the nation in one form or another. And the Lord asked David here to choose which form the national judgment will take? Will it be war, famine or disease? Now all these three evils occur within the providence of God. But God's own hand is seen less directly in war, where there is much immediate human agency, and God's hand is seen more directly in famine and in pestilence. But what a choice for David to have to make. And David said unto God, verse 14, I am in a great strait. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. And so David, as he thinks about these three horrible afflictions, resolves that he would rather be exposed to the direct hand of God than to the direct malice of men, as would be the case in war. And therefore he chooses famine or disease as the way in which the nation must be judged. The Lord then decrees that of these two, disease shall afflict Israel. Verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. The time appointed is a three-day period. The striking down of 70,000 people is indeed a severe judgment and it reveals to us how deep-seated the rebellion against God must have been within the nation. Now, the reality and imminence of God's judgment is the vital truth which our own nation desperately needs to grasp today. Because the character of God has not changed one jot since David's time. There is not an Old Testament God of wrath and a New Testament God of love who is quite different, as many wrongly assume. There is just one God of perfect justice, who also shows mercy to undeserving sinners. But we read in Psalm 90, verse 11, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so there we see that the psalmist is emphasising the reality of God's judgement. And that God is angry. You see, in God, anger is a holy virtue. With us, it usually degenerates into sin, but not with God. And because of the reality of God's anger upon sinners, we mere mortals should number our days, realise that our time is short, and make our peace with God rapidly. So the psalmist there in Psalm 90 is lamenting that so few people realise until it is too late just how angry God really is. They do not realise until it is too late how much they should have learnt to fear God. All need to recognise the inevitability of God's anger upon sin. And the churches are doing no one any favours by obscuring this reality. Now shortly before his death, our Lord said to the women who were weeping for him as he carried his cross to Calvary, he said these words, And they're quite remarkable words. The women are weeping for him. And the Lord speaks about the wrath of God. Luke 23, verse 28. Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bear and the breast, the paps that never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. So our Lord there, was referring to coming national judgment as he goes to his death. A judgment when the city and the temple in Jerusalem would be utterly destroyed. And similarly, what great wrath are all Christ-rejectors today storing up for themselves If only they would realise it. Should we never refer to Luke 23, 28 to 30 because it is not loving? Should we delete those verses from the Bible? The Lord warns that there is coming a day when the people will be fleeing in terror And nations today are storing up a corporate wrath when they defy God and his commandments. And that is why we, God's people, must challenge governments who defy the commandments of God. Now, here in 2 Samuel 24, National calamity in the form of a deadly pestilence is to afflict Israel. David is being made to see the folly of his numbering of his soldiers and his putting his trust in and then being proud about his military might rather than trusting in God. David is being made to realise that Israel's well-being is not dependent upon his skills in military organisation, but that the nation's security depends upon the providence of God. The people, for their part, are also learning from this sore judgement of the pestilence that they cannot keep on ignoring God's commandments with impunity. Because God is not mocked. Now this is a real historical event. Why is it recorded for us? That men of every generation, including our own, might learn from it. God is angry with sin. And God is angry with national sins. From Dan to Beersheba, from the northernmost point of Israel to the southernmost point, the Lord selectively struck down 70,000 defiant sinners. Immediately altering in the process the numbers of available fighting men, which David assumed that he could call upon, And so we're being told in verse 15 here that 70,000 men lost their lives in three days under the righteous anger of God. Clear historical proof that God is not mocked and men defy him at their peril. He is a consuming fire. Nations should fear the one true Trinitarian God. And the word of God contains many such reminders as this. Of the reality of God's anger. Sin is a desperately serious matter. Nations which ignore God's laws should tremble at the trouble which they are storing up for themselves. But individuals should tremble as well. And they should tremble in such a way as to humble themselves before this terrifying God by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of their sin. Now, we are told in verse 16 here. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aurora, the Jebusite. Verse 17. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. David, in great humility, Is seeking God's face in prayer. The Lord in his righteous anger now relents. He is gracious because God is actually not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But that does not mean that God never judges. Now, David graciously pleads with the Lord on behalf of the people, as a godly king should do. He magnifies his own sin and belittles theirs. However, the people were guilty as well. God judged those 70,000 people because it was a righteous judgment. Judgment had to fall. But now, in the midst of wrath, God remembers mercy. However, he does still require that the people's sin be atoned for in order that the plague does not continue. And so there must be effected the erection of an altar in a specific place which God ordains. And that specific place is to be the threshing floor of a man called Arona. Verse 18 And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. So this is what God instructs. His anger can only be held back by the shedding of blood upon an altar. Because It is a principle of God's working, an eternal principle of God's working, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9, verse 22. And this, of course, is where Islam fails. It has no blood atonement. God has decreed that sin can only be forgiven through the shedding of blood, through justice first being satisfied. And this is why God tells David to raise up an altar. Sin deserves death and God's justice against sin must be satisfied. Sin deserves the shedding of blood. But thankfully, by God's grace, he has provided a substitute for sinners upon whom all his justice has been executed. And that substitute is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this passage teaching us? It is that God's anger upon sin is very real. And the only remedy to hold back God's anger is to go to the altar which he has appointed. And that altar is Calvary. It's where the death of the Lord Jesus Christ took place. Only here can sin be atoned for. Those who repent of sin and trust in Christ are covered from God's wrath by the blood which is shed in the sinner's place. And so the glad tidings of the Christian gospel are that there is a way for God's righteous anger to be averted. It is by faith in Jesus Christ who has shed his blood at the appointed altar. And in Christ there is reconciliation with an angry God even for the worst of sinners. But as we read in Psalm 7, until men see their need of Christ, we must tell them that God is angry with the wicked every day. And let us also note the national perspective of this passage. The chapter opened with the words, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Severe national judgment ensued. Our own land today must realise that it cannot keep on defying God with impunity. It must return to the one true faith of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Because it is righteousness which exalteth a nation. Whereas sin is a reproach to any people. And the only hope for our nation today is to go to God's appointed altar. The only hope for our nation today is the gospel of salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.